0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org.
1: Uh, my name is Kimberly Ramsberg. Moved away from my home when I was 16. I um, then got pregnant with my daughter. My mom told me that she would never love me again because of that. So that was the moment when I decided I was done. I was so angry, and I took it out on God. I took it out on anything that I possibly could, just kept making bad decisions over and over again. I got married, and I had Kaylee at that point, and we were together for a few years, and it didn't work out to kind of run away from the things that were holding me back or what I thought were holding me back, back home in Oregon. And I had family out here. My sister was out here, and so we moved out here and to be closer to them. Started working at a local restaurant here, and I met somebody, and his name was Doug, and um, we started dating. And he was not like any other man that I had ever dated before. He actually cared for us, and he treated us well. And he, you know, he, he was a good, good man. Soon after we started dating, we found out that he had cancer. And so that was really rough, but he made it through the first time in remission and everything. And gosh, it wasn't even like eight months later and the cancer came back. During that time, I found out that he did know Christ and he did know Jesus. So at one point I remember Kaylee, my youngest daughter, asking me if she could go to church. And instead of doing their normal Bible study, um, Pastor Mike said, He had it on his heart to talk about people who had lost loved ones to cancer and in that time i heard people talk about that it was okay to be mad that things were going on it was okay to be angry you know god is going to get you through this and he's going to heal that person no matter what that looks like that was a huge moment when i heard that because I had never thought of it that way before. I had never thought of either way, they're gonna be healed. Either way, they're not gonna be in pain. November 3rd, 2009, that was it. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore without you. You've been here with me the entire way, but I could see where he never left me, and that was the day that I gave my life to Jesus. A month later, and um dog had his bone marrow transplant and he was doing well, and then took a huge turn for the worse. And a few short weeks later, on November 27th, 2009, Doug passed away. It was awful. I can't even, I mean, we, we had to take him off of life support. He was on life support at that point. Then we had to take him off, and it was not good
0: at all. Is suffering in your life a setback? or a setup for a comeback. When you hear me even ask the question, you're thinking, is that really even a question? I mean, Patrick, how absurd to even wonder whether the suffering we experience, like what Kimberly walked through, could possibly even have an option of being a setup for a comeback. Maybe you heard the song, God is good, oh, he's good. And you're like Kimberly saying, no, this is not good. My situation is not good. No, this is horrific and terrible. One of the challenges of being in ministry, particularly when you're new in ministry, you get invited into people's darkest moments and their deepest pain. The reason why that's challenging when you're young in ministry, meaning you're kind of new in this, is you don't have your own resume of pain to help relate to others. And you walk into difficult situations and you don't know what to say and you, you don't know what to do. I can remember very early on in ministry, in fact, one of the first uh, kind of pastor calls I got was a young girl that had just started coming to our youth ministry and then she had tried to take her life. I hope not connected, but... Um, she, she tried to overdose, and so uh, mom called me, and I got invited into the ER, her room, and there's mom and brother and sister, and tr- walking in thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've been trained, I've been pre- prepared, I, I've got a master's degree in counseling, and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I walked in, I was horrified because I really didn't feel like I knew what to do or how to help. And so I stumbled through it and still, I still look back on that moment like one of those moments I wish I could rewind and redo because I would have done it so different. But interestingly, about a month later, um, you know, she kind of recovered and started getting help and was getting counseling and talking to her friends who knew what had happened at school. And another one of her classmates got to a very dark place where she was seriously considering taking her life, but rather than trying to, she went to the school counselor, got connected to the school psychologist. And when she went into the office, she said, I wanna talk to one person. Would you call uh, Pastor Patrick? I wanna talk to him. I I don't know that I ever even met this girl, but she was friends with the girl who had come out to our youth group and she wanted to talk to me. And so the school called me and asked, hey, would you come down and talk to this young lady? And so I showed up and I don't know how it happened, but somehow I became the guy that they called on to respond to kids in their darkest place and their deepest pain. And I felt very, very unprepared and incredibly inadequate. And And I'm sharing that because in case you feel like I'm coming across callous or careless or treating suffering as casual, I want you to know that we hold hands through this. In fact, just the last six to eight weeks within Lifehouse, these are only situations where people have specifically reached out to us for support, for, for care. And uh, here's just a quick list. We've had uh, five serious car accidents. People have responded to us, say, hey, can you help? Five individuals who have been on a, in a motorcycle, even a fatal motorcycle accident. We have 12 individuals that were diagnosed with and are being treated for cancer. Eight families where a child was admitted to the ER or the hospital for life-altering, even life-threatening, sickness, disease, crisis, injury. We have four individuals who have bleeding on the brain, one of whom died as a result of that. Four individuals that received an amputation and three couples where the woman gave birth to a stillborn child. You know, it's interesting, as I was preparing for this, I had a thought that probably what you would think when you saw the video of Kimberly, and you heard that list is, Patrick, you don't have to talk anymore. Just point them out to me so I can find them. Because I wanna talk with them. If you know someone who just went through an amputation, you're like, I don't need a sermon. I need to find the other people who had an amputation because I wanna talk to them and I wanna hug them and I wanna sit down with them and I wanna just do life with them. You wanna know why? Because you and I fundamentally believe that someone who has suffered similar to us has something to offer us. Hold up. We believe that somebody who has suffered similar to us has something to offer us. And we want what they have. We've, we come to the place in life when we believe that maybe God is absent because I feel pain or worse, God is angry with me. Maybe you believe that God is uncaring or unaware or even that pain proves that God does not exist. And what I would offer is this, maybe there are those of you among us who maybe you got dragged here Maybe you're watching online specifically because you're not ready to come out to a church where you feel like we're too cliche about issues like this, meaning we, we post things on social media. We go, hashtag Thoughts and prayers when a tsunami wipes out hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people's lives. We, we say hashtag thoughts and prayers when a, when a mass murderer comes in and shoots up a club. And you've become callous toward the church because you're thinking all we do is offer cheap cliches in the darkest, deepest moments of people's lives. And we say God will never let you down. And maybe you're thinking, no, God has let me down or you've just come to the belief that God doesn't exist at all. Well, I want you to know that if you're struggling with that, you are among peers, you're among friends and you're in a place where we're gonna be willing and honest enough to talk about that because I think we've all been in dark places where we've questioned whether God existed because it hurt so much. And it's even more complicated in a Western culture. We live in a Western culture and most of us in an American dream context, follow me here, where we believe as kind of a fundamental value of our culture that that we have certain inalienable rights among them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe that we have a right We deserve to pursue happiness, comfort, and safety. And because we have a fundamental right to pursue happiness, comfort, and safety, pain is a problem. Pain is an obstacle that gets in the way of my God-given inalienable right to enjoy life. And maybe for you right now, you're struggling with this issue because for you, pain has been a problem and you're looking at life saying, it is not good. I'm not in a good place. Maybe you have friends, peers, they are not in a good place because pain has been a problem in their pursuit of enjoying our Western culture and what we fundamentally believe to be the purpose of life and that is to pursue happiness but it hasn't always been that way. And there are other ways of looking at life and pain. In ancient times, those that personally knew Jesus and those that taught about Jesus did not believe that pain was a problem. And they saw life very different than the way you and I have been trained to see life. In fact, they would have gone so far as to say that there is meaning in their suffering, and purpose in their pain. Let me, let me introduce you to one of those individuals So we're gonna talk about for today. But it's in the context of a guy named Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, was one of those guys that didn't like Christians. And so if you don't like Christians, you would like Paul. And, uh, and maybe some of you, you've seen the way Christians treat each other. And you see the way Christians interact in the culture around you. And you think that some Christians are hate mongers and they're narrow-minded and they're mean. And so you've started to think maybe some of these Christians need to be arrested. Good, you would have liked Paul because he actually arrested Christians and he murdered Christians. And you're like, well, maybe that's a little too far. Yeah, well, this guy was pretty passionate about this, but what do you do if you're Paul? And you go from hating Christians to becoming one. Well, your sphere of friends becomes pretty small. And, uh, and he, his life had a radical change. I mean, he turned his life around. He went from killing Christians to telling people how to become Christians. And just when he started experiencing this significant life change, where he goes from murderer to messenger, horrific things began to happen to him. Let me let me jump into the story before I dive fully in though uh, let me give a little more context. The story is written by a guy named Luke who is a, a, a well educated well studied well read physician and uh, he he lives in Antioch, and he, inter- he meets this group of people who believe in this guy, Jesus. And so he, he's never heard of Jesus, and so he starts to investigate and interview these individuals. And he becomes so persuaded that Jesus is who he said he was, that Luke leaves his profession, becomes a follower of Jesus, and starts to support this guy, Paul, on his journey to tell others about Jesus. He writes out his own account from other eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and the life of those who follow Jesus. It becomes a two-volume account called Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the Book of Acts, and it's included in the Bible. We're going to jump into his writing in the Bible, the Book of Acts, chapter 16, where the story is about a, little girl, a young girl, probably a young teenager, trapped in human trafficking which is a pretty hot issue in our current culture today. This girl, she wasn't being exploited for sexual purposes, but she had a gift, maybe an, a dark gift. Something supernatural inside of her allowed her to see the, for the future and could tell people's fortunes. And so she was kidnapped and being exploited Her owner, a slave owner, was abusing her and using her for his own profit. The apostle Paul, along with his friend Silas, came along and met this girl. They prayed over her, and God supernaturally freed her from whatever was in her that gave her this dark gift. When that, whatever was in her, came out of her, whether you call it a demon or something else, she was freed... From this, and as a result, she was freed from human trafficking. The people that don't like that are the people that profit from it, and so her slave owner became enraged. Let's jump in at that point. Acts chapter 6, where it reads this The crowd joined with the slave owner, in essence her pimp, in attacking. And an attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Maybe there was some corruption going on where even the magistrates, the law enforcement was profiting off of this girl. So everybody was somehow on the inside of benefiting from the human trafficking. Talk about a dark corruption. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. What do you do uh, when you've done nothing wrong and things go wrong? When they had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So the jailer was going to make sure that whatever their little magic tricks are wasn't going to get them out of prison. And so he locks them up, puts them in a deep dungeon, locks them in chains to make sure nothing can happen. And so maybe you're reading, maybe you're reading along with me and you're thinking what I might have thought. Good. Paul's getting what he deserved. Yeah. He, he didn't deserve to get locked up for freeing a girl from human trafficking, but you know what? He's murdered some people. So it, karma has come to him. He's getting what he deserved, which means you interpret pain as punishment. You were rude to a friend. Maybe you were walking out the door of your house and you were rude to your spouse or your sibling. And then you were driving and you got a flat tire. And you immediately connected the dots. You know what? I got a flat tire because of how rude I was. Pain is punishment. And for some of us, we constantly carry this feeling of guilt and shame that everything that is going wrong in our life is the consequence of things we've done wrong previously. And karma is mean. Thank you. I, I was, that was the ad lib I was like, wait, 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 what do I say? What do I say? Um, karma is not nice. And, and she has a way of coming and getting us. And so you're interpreting pain as punishment, but what do you do when you're doing right and things go wrong? And what do you do when you're like Paul and Silas and there's nothing you can do? So let's keep with the story. What do they do? About midnight, meaning they're in a dark dungeon, in a dark place, and it's dark outside. About midnight, Paul and Silas were angry, complaining, and depressed. Maybe they were feeling those things, but they were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a sh- such a violent earthquake the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, because, you know, I mean, he's sleeping. It's midnight. There's nothing to do. Everyone's locked up. And when he saw the prison doors open and he drew, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Let me keep reading here. And... Oh, we're gonna stop there. Okay, so let me, let me do this. Um, why would this guy wanna kill himself? So this is kind of a little context for you. Uh, in Roman culture and in this environment, uh, if your job is to keep prisoners in prison and they get out, you die. So his punishment was death. And so actually he was doing a noble thing by preparing to take his own life. In essence, what he was saying was, I know I deserve death. And so rather than my supervisor coming, finding that I allowed prisoners to escape and having to put me to death, it's unfair to him. And so the noble thing to do is to take his own life. And uh, Paul and Silas teach us a fresh perspective. They did not see pain and prison as a problem nor as punishment, but they had a perspective on pain. They saw through it to the promise and the purpose of God amidst suffering. And my challenge to you, there's a principle 2000 years later that still speaks to our lives today. And that is that you can experience a transformation in your perspective so that you discover and you begin to see promise and purpose in pain. It's possible for you to see promise and purpose in your pain. At some point in life, when you've experienced enough pain, I had not experienced enough pain when I was 22 years old and visiting young people in the ER who were struggling with why they were even alive. But over time, you begin to experience chronic pain and you experience life-shocking pain And you hold other people's hands as they walk through dark pain. And you come to a realization. Pain is permanent. Pain doesn't go away. And it won't go away no matter how hard I try to fix it. You can't medicate it away. You can't hope it away. You can't hug it away. You can't educate it away. Pain is permanent. And it's somewhere deep inside that you can't medicate. And so what you and I do is we settle for a temporary fix. We try, to, we try to treat it with temporary feel goods. And so we settle for entertainment and addictions and drugs and friendships and relationships and pleasure, all in an attempt to create a temporary numbing of a permanent pain. Pain is permanent. And no matter how hard we try to get rid of it, it is impossible. In fact, not only is it impossible, but it's deep. It's somewhere deep inside of us. There is this suffering that tells us something is fundamentally wrong in the world around us and something is fundamentally wrong inside of us. That thing that tells us the world is fundamentally wrong and there is something fundamentally wrong inside of me is what biblical authors in Jesus refer to as sin. Sin isn't a a mind issue or an emotional issue or even a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. And somewhere at the deepest core of who we are, there is a spiritual brokenness, a spiritual sickness, a, a spiritual pain called sin. It drives us away from God and toward doing what we want to do. But when we do what we want to do, it makes the problem worse. Sin sabotages our best attempt at happiness and sets us up for ultimate ruin. Sin leads toward an eternal judgment. And as a result of this thing inside of us called sin at the deepest part of who we are, it changes our perspective so that we believe that everything that goes wrong is a punishment for what we've done wrong. Sin causes us to interpret suffering as a consequence, something we deserve. But God was unwilling to leave us in this place of permanent pain and eternal pain. And so he intervened in our story. God stepped down from his throne in heaven and stepped into our messy, broken painful world. He became one of us, not just to look at us or mock us, but for this purpose. Let me bring you to this story. When when the jailer was about to kill himself, the apostle Paul yelled out, don't harm yourself. Don't kill yourself. And then the story continues. The jailer called for lights. They came in with the torches to light the prison. Then he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas and he He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hold up. Here is the jailer who asks them, how can I be free from the prison I'm trapped in? In essence, he discovered something fundamental, that we are not confined by our suffering, we are confined by sin. He recognized that he needed to be rescued and freed from something deep inside of him. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You'll be rescued. Your prison doors will be open and you'll be set free. You and your whole household, meaning this message isn't just for you. It's for anybody, for everybody. Your whole family can experience this. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. Here's what they might have shared. It's probably very, very similar to this. They would have said to the jailer, You realize that what confines you is not suffering, but sin. We might be in a physical prison, but you are in an emotional, you're in a spiritual prison. Jesus came to rescue you and to set you free. Here's how he did it. He came to earth. He took up, he collected up all of the suffering that you deserve for sin. Everything that you deserve as punishment He brought on himself the eternal judgment that's waiting for every one of us. He absorbed on himself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, their shame and guilt removed and in place of sin, that is a permanent pain. He replaces it with new life because when you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters into the deepest place of who you are, into your spirit where you are reminded that suffering is permanent. He enters there and he replaces our sin uh, drive and our sin pain with his spirit who gives us new life. When Jesus gives us new life through believing in him, we are transformed. And it reframes our perspective on pain so that now we no longer interpret everything that goes wrong as a consequence of what we've done wrong. We now see God's hand in our suffering. We see God's promise and we see God's purpose. In fact, that was the experience Kimberly had. Would you check this out? She shares the rest of her story.
1: It took years to get over that. It took a lot of years to get over that. I didn't want anything to do with life. I went to work, I went home, I went to bed. That was that was it. I was in such a huge state of depression and I could not see my way out of it. But he used my knowledge of his love and his guidance to get me out of that depression. And the more I talked about it, um, the better it felt because I realized that the positives can come out of it. So um, I started talking to a lot more people, you know, then I got to tell the people that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to get upset, that God's not gonna leave you there. Through this, I helped bring both of my girls to Christ. They both accepted Jesus. I lead a life group now, and I love every second of it. (laughs) I love being at the church. I like meeting new people. There will never be a time in my life where I don't have Christ now, ever because I look back and say, you loved me that much. You kept me around, you guided me, you got me through the toughest times of my life. You're going to again, and you're just always gonna be there. You're gonna be there in the happy times, you're gonna be there in the sad times, you're gonna get me through anything that life has to throw at me, because you already have. I've already been there. So I can look back. God is always there, and he is gracious enough to get you through everything that you could possibly throw at him. He's going to be right there, and he's going to be by your side the entire time. He's not going anywhere.
0: I hope that what you picked up on was that Kimberly discovered a promise and a purpose to her pain. It's as if her entire perspective on suffering was transformed and she saw it differently. How can you have your pain reframed to see promise and purpose in it? Well, let's go back to the story and it's going to parallel what you heard Kimberly share. Let's jump in and I'm going I'm to just give you kind of some key thoughts here. And so let's jump to the story. Here it is. Um, you, you already heard me read this, but let's kind of just recap it because we're going to see the principle in it. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them, you think? I'd be listening, I'd be curious, but what's the point? In prison, in pain, having just been stripped naked and beaten, humiliated, embarrassed, abused with bloodied backs against cold stone walls in prison in a dark place in the dark of night, they pray and they sing. The point is this, the promise in the pain is God's presence. Can you maybe make a note and write this down, even if you don't believe it? Even if you're struggling to accept that, maybe you can write that down, because maybe it'll be a reference point in the future, that there's a promise in the pain, and that is that God's presence is there with you. Here's what Paul and Silas did. They they prayed. They prayed even though it did not look like God was present. Pain does not mean God is absent. Pain proves God is present. God is not absent. He is not angry. He is not uncaring or unaware. In fact, what pain does is it pushes us to the point where we actually invite God's presence. You may not even believe in God, but when you get a bad diagnosis, you will pray. They say there are no atheists in the foxholes, because when there's people shooting at you and lobbing mortars your direction, whether there is a God or not, if there is, God help. And so it is totally acceptable, whether you believe in God, don't believe in God, that if you're in prison, having been stripped naked and beaten, that in that place, you go, hey, God, if you're there, I'd love to know. Now's a good time. You know what? Maybe your pain is creating the place for you to actually invite God's presence in. Then what they did was they actually noticed God's presence. The place started shaking. An earthquake opened prison doors. I'm not saying that every single time you pray, the cancer is going to be released. I'm not saying that every prison door is going to be open, but here's what they knew. They knew they were not confined by a physical prison because they had the perspective of the promise of God and whether God opened the prison doors or not, they knew God was present with them. It's as if in our darkest moments, we most see the light of God's love. It's as if when we are at our weakest, we discover God's strengths. You want to hear something cool? The apostle Paul actually wrote that. He, in, a, in another writing, another place, he was writing to a church that he helped start in the city of Corinth. He moved on, did other work, but later wrote two letters back to that church. And in his second letter, at the end of that letter, in what is called 2 Corinthians, it gets included in the Bible. He writes this point, and it's really powerful. Check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, he, just before, so I'll give you the context. He says, um, I want to tell you all these amazing things that God revealed to me and God has done through me. So he's kind of like patting himself on the back. And then he goes like this, but in order to keep me from becoming conceited, meaning to be, in order to keep me from getting so filled with destructive pride, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a thorn in my side. That's actually where we get that phrase from. Uh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Hold up, what? He goes, so, you know, God's been doing all these amazing things in my life, but to keep me from becoming arrogant and puffed up, God didn't cause, but he allowed this gift of a thorn. And that's what he meant when he said given, meaning he didn't say diagnosed with, he didn't say struck with. He said, I was given a gift of a thorn. And and that word thorn, many have tried to figure out what he was meaning by this. And so there's different theories. Some suggest that it was something like epilepsy. And in that era, it would have been, that would have been interpreted as demonic. And so Paul, Paul might be saying like, I had this thing in my life that looked like I had a demon, but it was really just a debilitating condition. Others suggest that maybe it was really weak sight. He, he was nearly blind and struggled with that. And there's a lot of other deep th- uh, different theories, but here's what we know about the thorn. It was debilitating, it was humiliating, and it was permanent. In his life, And then finally he says, it was given to me to torment me. And the, the word there means to, to beat with blows. Meaning his pain felt like a constant punch in the face. And so how did he respond? Well, his very next statement is this. He goes like this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He did exactly what I'm encouraging us to do. When you're in pain, invite God in. I pleaded with God, I begged God, where are you? Would you show yourself to me? would you show up in my life? But then he noticed God, but he said to me, and sometimes in our darkest places, our deepest pain and our greatest suffering, all we need to know is that God is there and all God is wanting to do is tell you he's there. He said to me, my grace, my, the riches of my love is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, this is his conclusion. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's Paul's conclusion. I'm gonna embrace my pain because my pain offers the promise of God's presence. And I will find my greatest hope, my greatest joy, my greatest life in knowing God's presence. Because when I am at my weakest, God reveals his strength. When I am in my darkest despair, I find my greatest hope in God. It's as if you'll never know that God can provide for you until you're in want. You'll never know that God can give you purpose until you're at a place in your life where you have no meaning. It's as if you'll never know that God is a healer until you've suffered in sickness. You'll never know that God offers unconditional love into relationships until you've been in a loveless situation. Somehow there's this direct correlation between our pain and God's presence intervening. The promise in pain is that God is present and he reveals his power. And then there's one more piece to the promise. It's a promise that pain is not the end of the story. Paul became acutely aware that pain was like the labor pains of a woman. Pain reminds me that I'm not home yet, that I am not yet where I belong. Pain is telling me not to get too comfortable in this life, that this life isn't the end, but I am gonna be birthed into a new eternal life where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sickness, no more agony. And so would you allow pain to be a promise in your life of an eternal paradise? But don't stop there. There's two more quick things that I want you to catch. And that is this, that's the promise. But then what's the purpose? Think about Paul and Silas in prison together. Think about Kimberly's story and that you would love if you've been through something like she has, you'd love to just talk with her. If if you're one of the four people that recently had an experience in amputation, you'd love to just talk with each other. Why? Because there's something significant about pain. And that's this, the purpose of pain is fellowship in suffering. We just make this up, right? We don't have any good words for it. Just there's a purpose in pain, and that is that there is some relationship with others that can't be experienced outside of suffering. If you've been through something, you have been uniquely gifted with the ability to comfort others who have suffered similarly. You know what to say. You know what not to say. You know when to hug and when to let go of the hug. You know when to care. You know when to show up. You know things that the rest of us could never know. You wanna know why? Because you've suffered. And you know that others who've suffered like you have something that no one else has. They have a gift. And the purpose in your pain is to share that gift with others. It's as if pain invites a comfort that allows me to connect with people in a otherworldly way. Here's the thing, you and I are fundamentally designed, me, all psychologists, sociologists would agree with this, that human beings have a basic need to connect with others. And we all want to connect, but we don't feel connected. But when you suffer, you connect with people at the deepest level and you experience that deep belonging that we were all created with. Wait, what? We have a basic need to belong, but we don't experience it. When we suffer and experience pain, we have a deep sense of belonging with others who've suffered like us in a way that we otherwise could never experience. Pain fulfills the purpose of helping us connect with others who suffer similarly. Do not push away from the very thing that may bring you into the fellowship of suffering that will actually... Meet the deepest need of your life to belong and connect with others. Don't be greedy with your suffering. Share it because you're inviting others into your pain. And then when you have that comfort, you have something to give to those who are in pain. But don't stop there. That's, the, that's one part of it. The other part of the purpose in pain is this. The apostle Paul wrote it, right? In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. God is at work in us to mature us. God is at work in us to make us. And pain is the greatest catalyst for change. Pain is like sandpaper and a surgeon's scalpel. Pain does what nothing else can do. When you and I have terrible attitudes and we have deep life controlling character flaws that no matter how hard we've worked to get rid of that, we can't seem to get rid of it. But the moment we experience suffering and pain, it's as if pain is a filter to remove those character flaws. Pain has made you more the person you are today than pleasure or comfort or safety ever could. In essence, you are not the sum of your accomplishments or your achievements. You are the sum of your suffering. Your suffering has made you what you are today. Your suffering is your resume. Your suffering is your character. Your suffering is what makes you compassionate and loving and kind and gentle. Because when you've been through it, you see those going through it totally differently. You're more caring. You're more generous. You're more compassionate. So rather than pushing away from suffering, maybe you and I need to embrace it because there's purpose in it. Because God is at work in us to mature us. The ultimate goal of maturity is that we become more like Jesus. Maybe it's suffering that is shaping you into being more like Jesus. Don't push away from the very purpose of God in your pain and your suffering. Now let me, let me invite you to respond very simply. There are those of you that you've interpreted pain as a problem and as punishment and you know that it's permanent. But today you want that experience where you no longer have to live under that darkness and you want to find freedom like the jailer from the prison of sin and you're ready to take a step of faith to say yes I believe in Jesus I'm willing to believe that he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead for me to be freed from sin and given new life and if that's where you're at then today you can make that commitment and it's not with me it's with God himself you can just pray others of you you believe in Jesus but you're carrying the feeling that pain is a problem And today what you need is a fresh perspective to see the promise and the purpose of God in your pain. Can I encourage you? Would you just pause right now? God's present here. He's present with you online. He's present with you in your home and he will be present with you when you go home. God wants to speak to you. In that deep spirit place of who you are, he wants to bring healing and hope and a promise And purpose in your pain. Would you pause? Would you pray right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.